Okay, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We are going to jump in to the Word of God here. And today, it is now December, guys. What happened to November? Seriously, does anyone else feel like that? Like, it's just like, just left. It is December, so it is officially, we have officially entered the Christmas season, okay? Yes, it starts after Thanksgiving. I don't want to argue about it. I have the mic right now. Okay, we can talk later, all right? It starts after Thanksgiving. Christmas music is now officially allowed, okay? Before that is an illegal activity that's happening, okay? But we are in the Christmas season, um, but um, we just had our gingerbread bash this past Wednesday night. Jeremy did an awesome job, Jeremy and Jenna, putting that on. Um, we had 25 families here um, Wednesday night uh, taking part of that. We uh, made gingerbread nativities and all that. I heard that Buddy the Elf was here, and I just missed him. I got here at the end, and I came out to some of the kids, and I said, I heard Buddy was here. Where's he at? And I missed him, and so um, I just got to see his picture online. He took a picture with my family and everything and helped them with their stuff. Um, you, I'll let you look that up. Some of you are not getting that joke, but you haven't seen the picture, so I'll let you <laughs> look that up. But um, it was a bummer for me, but I made it through. But anyway, we made some, um, at the gingerbread bash, we made some uh, gingerbread nativities, okay? So we made the, like, the little stable that's kind of in the classic nativity, and um, what makes any nativity better but candy put on it, so it was, it was great, and um, one of my kids, I think, was just eating candy, but, um, but anyway, we had the, and then we had these little paper cutouts, you had a little baby Jesus, and you had like Joseph and Mary, you had like a shepherd with some sheep, and you had all these animals, um, and then you had the cutout of the three wise men, right? Um, uh, the, the, the three wise men. And you guys, whether you're there Wednesday night or you've seen the nativity, um, how many wise men are there always, right? Three, right? How many were there actually? We have no idea, right? <laughs> like that's every nativity. Like we had, it's like they made sure they only had one shepherd in the paper cutout. <laughs> Even though they said there were shepherds in the fields, they only did one on that. That was fine. But you always have to have Three. You know, it was the three wise men, um, and they made sure they they had that. And they, um, we really don't know. There could have been more. There could have been less. There was at least two because they said wise men, not a wise man. Um, but there could have been more. I actually think there were more because um, of several things, and we'll talk about that. But it was most likely a group of them. But um, we really don't know how many. And even traditionally, you know, there are three. But they've also like been given names over the years. I didn't even I didn't grow up with the the names. But like one of them's Balthazar, which is cool. You know, um, he was even played by James Earl Jones in a movie. I mean, Darth Vader himself. You know, um, and so like you have all these names. But the truth is like. We don't get any names. Like, we don't get any names. We don't get even exactly where they're from. We don't get a whole lot of information. It just says wise men came from the East. That's all we know. And it's, you know, it's plural. But a lot of times they are given, or we say there are three traditionally because there were three gifts given. And so if you're going to have the, you know, nativity, you got to have one of them, each of them holding a gift. And so that's where, honestly, that's where we get the three. That's the only mention of any number was that they named three gifts that they gave to Jesus. And so this morning we're going to kick off a Christmas series. Um, it'll be this week and the next two weeks leading up to Christmas called The Gift. Okay, and this is going to focus on those three gifts given by the wise men because there is some um, important significance to those. They were practical gifts. We'll talk about that. Um, they were valuable gifts. 
but there is representation in these gifts. There is even prophetic in these gifts of some things that it tells us from the very start who Jesus is and what he is for us, who he is for us. Um, and scholars would all agree on that. And so I'm looking forward to this series. It's going to be um, a great series. We got some great resources from Life Church. I don't know if you know Life Church, Craig Michelle, um, really the when you count all their online campuses and all their things, they're the biggest church um, in the nation, I think maybe the world. They're huge. I mean, it's huge. If you're looking at your Bible on your phone right now, that's the YouVersion Bible app. That's from them. Um, they equip believers um, with that. They equip churches. And so just want to give some credit there. We got some great uh, resources from them. But study through that this week, and we are going to jump into this series. And so uh, why don't you, uh, if you haven't turned it, Matthew chapter 2 yet. We're going to read this scripture. And I'll set this up for you a little bit. I won't read all the, the whole setup, but why, it says, Wiseman came from the east. They actually went to King Herod and asked him, where's the one to be born, born the king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. And then he gets all nervous because he's the king of the Jews. And so he's trying to figure out, and he actually tries to be sly and say, hey, go find them and come back and tell me so I can worship him. And really, he wanted to kill him. So that's where we kind of pick up as they left, the wise men left to, to continue to to. to Follow the star that led them there. So we're just going to pick it up in verse 10. We're just going to read verses 10 and 11. I'm actually going to read the New Living Translation um, just because of um, some wording that um, I wanted to point out. And so but anyway, here, here we go. It says, uh, Matthew 2, 10 and 11 says, When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So just stop for a second and think, okay? You know, the child Jesus, you think, okay, nativity, you got baby Jesus, sweet baby Jesus in the hay and the manger thing, all right? And they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It seems like a really weird baby shower, right? <laughs> like, I mean, when we're going to get a baby gift, I doubt most of you have given gold, most of you probably don't even know what myrrh is, you know. <laughs> I, I, I don't, didn't really until I studied it, okay. And, and then frankincense, you know, some of you might know what that is. But it, it still seems like a strange thing. Like it doesn't make much sense practically to us. Um, I've even heard the comedian Tim Hawkins talk about this. Even the songs we sing, when you put it all together, it doesn't make sense. Like, a child, a child shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Why not a blanket, right? Like that's the whole point he's making in that joke. And it's like, yeah, like, and even for us, like that's like a normal gift, right? The little blankie, you know, my kids had blankets that that was like their thing that soothed them or whatever. And my oldest son, Ben, he's now almost nine. He called his, his babu, okay? Where, we have no idea where he came up with that. It's just, but the babu was that blanket. There was blankets and then there was babu and then the others kind of picked that up but then as my boys I have three boys and as they got you know each one they got lazier and lazier so my youngest just called it his ba literally just where's my ba my ba you know just like just a noise <laughs> it's like super annoying but um anyway you couldn't even you know two syllables at least come on you know just ba where's my ba uh, but they seem like strange gifts. Like it's not the normal baby gifts, diapers and blankets and pacifiers and all that kind of stuff. And it seems a little odd. But let's remember why these wise men came, okay? It wasn't a baby shower. That was a joke, okay? But why did they come? 
uh, these magi, is what it also calls them, came to visit Jesus. And if you look up in verse 11 that we just read, it says, they entered the house and saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then in verse 2, which we hadn't read yet, and I kind of summarized, but in 2.2 it says, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They say that was the whole purpose. They made a journey across the Arabian desert is where they came from. Because if they came from the east, they had to be across the desert. They just crossed the desert not to come to a baby shower because nobody travels that far. That's when you RSVP like, nope, you know, because you're not coming because it's a long way. It's like, no, they saw us. So they said, we've come to worship him. So they brought gifts that were for a king. Okay, they, they, this is what they were. They were coming to worship the newborn. He said, where's the one that's been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star. We came to worship him. So they bought gifts for a king. Now, there's still some things that are a little odd about these gifts, but one of the things that they're for a king is they're very valuable. And that, that day, all of them, and gold is still something that's valuable, but even frankincense and myrrh, they were valuable things. This would have been, it, it says in there that they opened their treasure chests. They opened their treasure chests and bought, like these were the valuable things that they guarded in a chest and they, brought, and they gave them to him, and so that's what they did. They came; these men had come across the Arabian Desert just to worship Jesus. And um, they, like I said, we know that because it said they traveled from the east. We don't exactly know um, where the wise men are from. Most would um, say that they're probably from Persia, which would make sense, of course, coming from there. It also kind of makes sense with the whole um, they mean Persian and the Magi thing. It's probably also whoever came up with Balthazar, why they did, because they were just assuming it was Persian, which would all make sense, even though it wasn't his name. But anyway, so they... That would kind of make sense. They also would believe that these magi were um, basically astrologers of their day. I mean, that, that, that looked at the stars and you know, would, would do different things. And it was probably actually a very spiritual thing for them, which would also check out with the whole Persian magi thing. Um, it would make complete sense. And so most likely were that. And it would, so it would make sense why they said, we saw the star when it, when it rose. This light or this star, when it came up, they, they saw it and said, something's different right there. And so it kind of makes sense that they might, they, they would say, okay, something special. If this was kind of a spiritual thing for them, they would say something special is happening over there. Um, there's some that would contend that if they were Persian, I, I, was, I was studying this week, I thought it was interesting. So if they were Persian, they may have actually, and these were like men who studied things and they were, you know, they were wise men. These were men who were full of knowledge and studied history and those things that they might have even known about Daniel's prophecies from the Old Testament time because that would have been when they were captive in Babylon and Persia then conquered Babylon. And so if these are people who, and these were famous prophecies, it wasn't just like just something that was in our Bible. I mean, this is a famous thing. So they say they might've known about that. And there was a timeline in those prophecies. If you don't know about that, about, they call it Daniel's 70 weeks. So um, I'm not gonna get into that. That's, it's really kind of confusing, but it would have been about that time. They saw the star. They may have all put that all together. I thought that was interesting, but the truth is we don't really know any of that. We don't know why. We don't know. Maybe God just showed up to him. We know that an angel showed up to the shepherds in the fields. It doesn't say that here but it could have been that, that, that God intervened there. But regardless of what happened, I say all that to say, regardless of what happened, God's hand was on this. This was a God-ordained moment because when we look at these gifts that were given, they were very specific to Jesus. They were valuable, yes. They were actually all very practical in their day, but they were, they were prophetic. They were symbols of exactly who Jesus, the king that was coming, was, gonna, was going to be for us and who he was from that very start, that very moment. They brought gold, which represents God as our, is Jesus as our king. And in two weeks, Scott is going to talk about that on the 19th. We're going to uh, finish up 
with gold, talking about that, they brought myrrh, which actually symbolizes Jesus as our suffering servant, the Lamb of God. And I'm going to talk about that next week. And then today we're going to talk about frankincense. Frankincense is today. So frankincense, what is frankincense? You know, there are probably some essential oils advisors in the room that could tell me what frankincense is. Calm down, okay? This is a rhetorical question. You can tell me about it later. Don't sell me any essential oils, okay? Listen, I know you got frankincense in the little kid. I got it, okay? But here's what I do understand, okay? Here's what I understand. Frankincense is kind of um, like the Swiss army knife of the oil world. Like it kind of does a lot of different things. Um, as I studied this, frankincense possesses antiseptic, astringent, carminative, diuretic, digestive, sedative, uterine, and vul- vulnerary therapeutic properties, whatever all that stuff means, okay? But um, it has all these practical uses. Even in their day, frankincense was very expensive. It was a practical gift. It would maybe help treat sicknesses and wounds as well. Um, but that's actually not the significance that we're talking about today. It's not just, oh, this is really practical. It healed wounds. It was actually, there was a spiritual um, uh, connotation to this. There was a uh, very important spiritual significance to frankincense for the Jewish people because frankincense was used by priests during sacrifices. So when people in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant would come to sacrifice, to worship, okay, one of the things they would do is they'd burn the incense, or if you, re, you study it, if they burn the frankincense. They burn frankincense, which caused a lot of smoke. Anyone who's lit up oil before would know it smokes a lot. And the smoke would rise to heaven, and that signified the prayers of the people of God rising to God. All right? And so this was a, a very significant, frankincense had a very significant spiritual um, application. And that's what they brought to Jesus. Okay? And so Bible scholars would, all, would very much agree across the board that frankincense symbolized the priestly nature of Jesus. What it, frankincense symbolizes is Jesus as our high priest. Jesus as our high priest. So unless, you, um, unless you're Catholic or grew up Catholic, we probably don't use the word priest that much. Like, I don't, I'm not a priest, okay? Um, we, we don't use that word. And so it's something that we don't, when we talk about, oh, Jesus as our high priest, uh, usually when we think of priests, sometimes we might think of a Catholic priest or something like that. But we're talking about Old Testament priests like we just talked about. And, um, and so it can be a little bit confusing on why, why is Jesus our high priest? Why is that significant? What does that mean for us? Because it's one of those things that is very meaningful and what can we look at? So, well, priests in the Old Testament served one primary role that was split into two functions. Okay, so we're talking priests in the Old Testament, in the Jewish, um, in Israel, um, in Jewish history. And the, so the priest was the representative of the people before God. Okay, that was their primary role. All right, and it was split into two functions was this. Priests made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins, okay, and priests prayed prayers on behalf of the people of God. We just talked about the prayer thing. Okay, they would pray prayers. It would even light the, the frankincense and it would go up and that would signify, but they would pray prayers and the people, that was part of their thing. Okay, to be that intermediary between God and the people to, to be on their behalf praying, but they also made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. They were the intermediary to help people worship God and repent to God and they would be the ones that actually performed the sacrifices um, that were to forgive sins. And the reason they did this and the reason we still um, talk about this and why this is significant is from the very moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, 
of Eden. From that very moment, there have been two opposing forces. There's been the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Okay, the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And today, sin isn't a very popular concept. Okay, sin is not something that's very popular right now. We live in the you-do-you culture, right? We live in the like, your truth is your truth and my truth can be my truth culture. We live in the um, do what makes you happy culture. That one might hit a little closer to home. I mean, some of us would be like, yeah, stinking relative truth. And you know, but it's like, we do the whole like, whatever makes you happy, do that. If it feels good in the moment, go for it. You know, it doesn't really matter. And all those things kind of, so the idea of sin, of wrong, of something that has sets you um, um, guilty is not something that's very popular in our culture. Okay, but it is so important for us to understand the sinfulness of man, to grasp the idea of that, and even more importantly, to understand the holiness of God, of how holy God is, and how set apart he is. Okay, because if we don't, you know, there's even people that would say that sin um, is something that we just make up to, to have kids behave themselves, right? I mean, there's people that have said that, even publicly, you know, if you have that, so just to make them behave what we want them to. And so we say there's, there's sin and wrong. So like who needs, um, who needs the holiness of God when you've got an elf on a shelf, right? Like he's watching you, which is really creepy by the way. Um, he's watching you and like he's gonna report to the big man up north in the North Pole. Uh, and that guy is making a list and he's checking it twice. He's gonna find out who's naughty or nice, right? And so like some people say, oh, that's what this is. But if we, if we, leave it on this level, we don't really understand the sinfulness of man, we will lose the importance of it. We will lose that. And like I said, what's most important is that we understand the holiness of God. Okay, we have to understand the holiness of God because it will put in perspective the sinfulness of man. If we don't understand the holiness of God, we will always have a casual approach to sin. And that hit me hard this week. If we don't understand the holiness of God, we will always have a casual approach to sin. If we don't get a better picture of how holy our God is, we will not grasp the tragedy of sin. Guys, holiness comes from the Greek word hagios, which means sacred, set apart, separate, okay? So God is holy. Our God is set apart. He is transcendently separate, Okay, he is completely pure. He is perfect in every way. He is flawless, okay? And holiness is not just one of God's attributes. Holiness is not just another one of his attributes. It's actually the perfection of all of his attributes. His, his mercy is holy. His power, it's holy. It's set apart, it's sacred. His justice, it's holy. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's, that's what we have to understand about God is he is holy and it's his holiness that makes him worthy of our praise. It's the fact that he is sacred and set apart. It's the fact that all of his attributes are holy. They're set apart. They're transcendently separate on a whole other level. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Isaiah 55. And I mention it all the time and it says, as, as the high as the heavens are above the earth are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. He's like, I'm in a whole other realm here. That's, that's the holiness of God. And it's that that makes him worthy of our praise. It's that that also puts into perspective the sinfulness of man. And it's that God that we are separated from. He is holy, but here's the problem. You're not. I'm not. We're not holy. 
And neither is that really nice person at work. Neither is that like that really good family, a really good family. They're not either. None of them are perfect. None of us are perfect as God is. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He didn't even need to say the holiness of God. And this is why God hates sin, okay? That's why we talk about God hating sin. And again, we're not talking about the sinner because this is the whole point of this priestly role, but God hates sin. He hates it because it's everything he's not. It's the opposite. It's the, it's, 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 it's the separation of, of, from him and his holiness. It takes um, people, the people of God, the, his creation, and it tears us away from intimacy and relationship with him. We cannot get God close to God's holiness because sin separates us from God. It destroys and breaks our lives. So the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Right? That's why God hates sin. And that's why it is opposing to him that's why we have the holiness of God and the opposing force of the sinfulness of man. He is our high priest. So in the Old Testament, the priest once a year would perform a sacrifice of, um, as a temporary covering for the sins of the people. It was known as the Day of Atonement, or have you ever heard of Yom Kippur, okay? That's the Day of Atonement. This was the yearly sacrifice. People would bring sacrifices, you know, weekly, daily, whatever, for or a time they needed to, to for, uh, forgiveness for sins. There was other times, but there was once a year that there would be a corporate um, a sacrifice, the Day of Atonement, where the priest would offer this temporary, this once a year sacrifice as payment for the people's sins. And so here's what the priest would do. He'd take um, the, an innocent animal, okay? He'd take an innocent animal, and they would sacrifice it, okay? And if you don't know what that means is they'd kill it, okay? I just want to let you know. They'd kill the animal, okay? And then the priest would go into the center of the tabernacle or once it became the temple, okay? And then he'd go behind the veil, okay? If you ever turn talking about the veil we sang about this morning, that, and that, it, behind that was what they called the Holy of Holies, okay? It's where the presence of God dwelled. It's where they kept the Ark of the Covenant when they had, you know, that when it wasn't stolen, you know, all that stuff. But that, that was where the prince got. And so this was like only the priest could go there or someone would be struck down dead. That was the, I mean, they'd have to prep for it. It was the, it was the real deal. And they would go in there and what they would do is they would then burn the frankincense, okay? And again, when you light up oil, it smoke a lot and that smoke would rise to the heavens signifying that the prayers of the people were reaching God. The cries of the people for forgiveness and for mercy would reach, had reached the heavens, okay? Then they would take the blood of the animal, okay, the innocent animal that had been killed, and they would sprinkle it on what was called the mercy seat, okay? And what that did is it signified, it, it signified the payment of the sins of the people. It symbolized the death of an innocent one in place of the guilty one, okay? That was the moment where we said that, that God was accepting this sacrifice of an innocent in place of the guilty, okay? The payment of sins for the people of God. Then, have any of you guys heard of the scapegoat? Have you ever, you ever heard the term scapegoat? Okay, have you ever been a scapegoat before? That's fun. Okay, so anyway, what that, that comes from this next part because the next part of the sacrifice in the Day of Atonement is they take the goat, okay, and then the priest would confess the sins of the people of God um, onto this goat, like symbolically transferring the sins of the people 
onto this goat, and then that goat would be led out of the, of the city, out of the community, in, um, into the wilderness, or sometimes off a cliff, okay? Um, just, it's in the Bible, all right? So they would, they, would, they would do this, and that signified that the sins had been forgiven and permanently removed from the community, from, from the people of God, okay? So that was the two sides. That the first animal died as a sacrifice, paying the price for the sins, and then symbolically, the scapegoat was run out of the community, symbolizing the sins had been separated from the people of God, okay? So that was the Day of Atonement. This was the temporary yearly sacrifice that happened. And let's be honest, when we look at the Old Testament and the sacrifices in the, under the Old Covenant, it's weird. It's a little strange. Because like, some of are like, no, nah, it's normal to talk about it. Like, no, I want you to think about it. It's extreme. Like, they kill an innocent animal, okay? They then, you know, burn oil and make a bunch of smoke. Then they sprinkle blood onto something to signify it. Then they take a goat and run it off a cliff, okay? Like, it's extreme. It is like, it is something that it's kind of gross, right? Like, my job would look a little different as a worship pastor, <laughs> Right? I'd look more like a butcher. And seriously, like there's there's times in the Bible where they like came back to the Lord and all started worshiping. Like they'd have to like they couldn't keep up and they'd have to go like wash off. I mean, it's like this seems like this extreme deal. And and because of that, sometimes when we talk about those sacrifices and we talk about the priests and the, the sacrifice of praying and all this stuff, it, it some of us struggle with that. Let's be honest. Some of us struggle with like, well, why would God do that? Especially if you're an animal lover, like, why would he do, you know, why would he do this? Or maybe you know people, it's like, well, why would a good God, you know, allow, like, innocent animals just to be, like, slaughtered on behalf of people? And why would, why couldn't he just forgive their sins? Why couldn't we just do the goat thing, you know? And it, because it is extreme, when we really kind of put ourselves in there, it seems like, well, why would God do this? But remember that the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Okay, that means the cost of sin, that means the penalty, the just penalty for God, uh, for sin, would be death. Okay, that would be just. Okay, and God's holiness and our sins are opposite. So God, and God, so we talked about sin leads to death, but God leads to life, right? I mean, that's we understand that God leads to life, sin leads to death. So the cost, the just penalty of sin is death. And our God, who is holy in all His attributes, is holy in His justice. If he's going to be holy, if he's going to be set apart, if he's going to be pure and perfect in all of his attributes, his justice has to be holy. Okay, so he has to demand death for sin. Or otherwise, he is not a just God. Okay, and I'm not saying that God is, you know, the one killing anything. I'm saying, but if, if, the, if the penalty, if the wrath of God, if, the, if the, the justice of God is going to come, death has to be the answer. Or he's not a just God. Okay, we have to understand that, okay? But, ju so justice must be served for sin, and the thing is, it, it has to be done at its appropriate cost, okay? But God would not, so God, here's what I want you to get about that. God would not be just if he did not accept death as the penalty for sin. If there was any other, if there was any other payment, it would not be just, okay? And that's hard for us because, again, sin's not popular, okay? It's sacrifice and death seem gross and weird and extreme, Okay, but here's the thing. Not only is he just, but he's merciful as well. And his mercy is holy and perfect, okay? And so here's what I want you to understand. The sacrifice satisfies God's justice and at the same time extends God's mercy. 
okay? That's what we really need to understand about the sacrifice. We get kind of caught up in some of the, the details and the, the fact that we don't live in that culture in that time, and so it's hard for us to understand. But the sacrifice, it satisfies God's justice because the, the penalty for sin is death, and death is what is, is the, the sacrifice is, and at the same time, it extends God's mercy because was the animal guilty? No, it was innocent. We were guilty. The people of God were guilty, and he said, but the mercy that he extends is the fact that he said, well, I'll accept this instead, even though you deserve the death. So both things are fully satisfied. Okay, so the death in, of the sacrifice brings that appropriate justice, but those that deserve sin did not get it because God is merciful, okay? So the problem, though, with this old sacrifice, okay, is that it was temporary. They did this every single year. Every year they had this. And like I said, and there was other sacrifices that they would perform and continue to do. And so they had to do this again and again and day after day and year after year in the old covenant. But guys, we're not in the old, but the new. It says the old, the Bible says the old has gone and the new has come. And so all of these sacrifices were a way for God to be just and merciful. It just can't ever fully take away sin, though, okay, because it's temporary. It can't fully match that. So and, and here's why I want you to understand about that, because we we're talking about the holiness of God. Remember we talked about how he is transcendently separate. This holiness is something that's perfect, and none of us would ever reach that, okay? And it's on a whole other level, and so we're offering these small sacrifices, okay, and it's never going to be enough because it's not going to be of equal holiness. Okay, it's not going to be on the same level. And so there needed to be a sacrifice of equal perfection if it were to truly bridge the gap of the opposing forces. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And that's why we're not under old, but new. Hebrews 10, 10 through 12 said this, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Jesus is our high priest that's what it means when we say, oh, this represents him as our high priest. It means he was the one sacrifice that was good for all time. He was the one who offered the sacrifice that not only had to be done every year, but no, just one time because the holiness of God was here and the sinfulness of man is here. And now we've all got the, the sacrifice of perfect holiness and perfection that no animal could ever get. And even us and ourselves could never reach. And we now have our high priest, Jesus who offered that for us. He is our high priest. You know, as we, as we kind of close this today, let me help you better understand the significance of what Jesus did for us as high priest, okay? So why don't you show that picture of the, the, the Pope? This is Pope Benedict. This is, uh, he was like, from what I understand, Pope Benedict was like the fashion Pope. Like he always had like the best clothes. He wore like bright red shoes. I don't know a whole lot about the Popes. But um, so anyway, this is Pope Benedict, okay? But look at his robes. Like how nice are his robes? I mean, he's got like the pure robe. He's got the gold, you know, sash, um, 
trimming on it. And then just the, the covering is just like ornate and it's gold and that hat is awesome. You know, I think you should get one of those. Um, but like, I mean, just the ornate, I mean, when the, when just like the, the level of like, nobody quite looks like the Pope in a robe. You know what I mean? Like, it's just this whole other level. It's just beautiful. I mean, when you take all that just into consideration, I mean, whoever made that, I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. It's just, and that's why they do it. It brings this like, you know, this glory with it, essentially. You know, it's just this, it's incredible, okay? Well, now, how do those robes compare to this robe? Go ahead and show that next one. Like, it's pretty nice, you know, Cousin Eddie, good old Cousin Eddie. If you don't know who Cousin Eddie is, good for you. But, okay, so this is Cousin Eddie, you know, and, you know, I, let me ask you this question. Like, how nice do you think this robe is? Let me ask you this. How bad do you think that thing smells? If you don't know the context, he's dumping his sewage from his camper while standing next to smoldering plastic. I mean, I can't imagine how horrible it smells around it. But Cousin Eddie's not necessarily the most, like, hygienic person either. So I'm like, I can't imagine how that robe smells. So how does that robe compare to the first one? Like, I mean, it's probably more comfortable. But, like, I mean, I'm talking just, uh, it looks like you can take Cousin Eddie down or nobody's going to pay attention. That's right. So now remember our context here today. We're talking about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And as far apart as those robes are, it still doesn't even compare. If we could really see with our eyes, which would be impossible, the distance, the separation of how set apart the holiness of God is and the sinfulness of man. But it just kind of gives us a picture. If we think of just the worst, nasty, stinky robe that should be thrown in the garbage, and we think of just the Pope's like best robes, okay? And here's, here's what Jesus, our high priest, does. He sees that robe, and him in all his glory, and his glorious robes, and he, he says, take that off. He says, take that off, and he says, just throw it away. And then he takes off his robe. And he comes and he, he puts it around our shoulders. And as Isaiah 61 says, verse 10, it says, He has wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. And so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my righteousness because it's been thrown away. It's been permanently removed but instead, he sees the righteousness of Christ. It's not our righteousness. It's Christ. But he has given it to us, and he says, here, take this. And it's yours now. Jesus satisfies the justice of God while he extends us mercy. And our sin has been permanently removed. It's not a temporary covering. It's not that we just covered up the old one, but instead, he gives us his, his righteousness. That's what Jesus has done for us. He is our high priest.